This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's word. Go with me to the book of Esther. The book of Esther this evening. And find, if you would, chapter number four. We've been looking uh, in this series that it may go well with thee from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four, and verse number 40. We've been looking at seven Old Testament characters, seven people who, in a critical time in their youth or in their early days of their adulthood, often in the face of trying circumstances, they refused to submit to the temptation that Satan laid before them. And they chose to obey God. And by choosing to obey God and refusing to uh, submit to the temptation that Satan presented them. They, in their lives, demonstrated the power that God uh, had, the power of the word that God had given them when he said, if you will keep my commandments, it will go well with you. And uh, for many of these people, it, it looked as if if they kept God's commandments, it was going to go anything but well with them. But when you obey God and you trust God, it will go well with you. And we come this evening to the life of Esther. A wonderful character, Esther, is a young uh, Israelite girl, a young girl, a young Jewish girl, uh, living during the time uh, after the Babylonian captivity. She's living now under the Persian captivity, the Persian rule, and the Persians control all uh, of the uh, east, eastern world at that time. And the Babylonians have long since been overcome and and now Esther, who finds herself uh, the, the princess, the queen, rather, of Persia, married to the king. And it's quite an amazing story. And given the opportunity at a very crucial time, she decides to obey God in the face of very difficult circumstances and it went well with her. I want us to find chapter 4, and we begin in verse number 1. Chapter number 4 and verse number 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, 
There was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. She sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. Why is it, Mordecai, that you have come to the king's gate in sackcloth, weeping, wailing? What's the problem? Tell me about it. Verse 6, So Hatak went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city which was before the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him. And of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise from the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. It's quite an intriguing story, is it not? Young Esther, this Jewish girl who becomes the wife of the king of Persia, And while she is the princess, the queen rather, as she is there, uh, there is an enemy, a foe of the Jews named Haman who is acquainted with her uncle, Mordecai, and who hates him because Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. Haman is an Agagite. Uh, Many believe him to be a descendant then of King Agag who was an Amalekite. And if you will remember, Agag was the king of the Amalekites when Saul spared some of Amalek when he was told to put them to death. 
If you go back further into the book of Exodus, you'll find that the first enemy to approach Israel, once they, entered, or once they left the land of Egypt and crossed over, the first enemy they encountered were the Amalekites. And God said to Moses, write this down for a memorial because the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And Amalek is a type or a picture, a representation of the flesh and of the sin nature that hates God and resists the work of God. And here we find Haman, the enemy of the Jews, who hates Mordecai and who hates the Jews. He wants preeminence. He wants power. He finds himself with an opportunity to serve in the court of the king. He's a very manipulative person. He's a very uh, uh, deceitful person. He is one who pretends to have the king's best interest at heart, but he does not have the king's best interest at heart. He simply has one interest, and that is that he himself would be exalted and that the people of God would be extinguished from the earth. And so he works to gain the favor of the king and eventually deceives the king into drafting a law, into drafting a piece of legislation that says that all of the Jews should be killed. Of course, the king doesn't know that his wife is a Jew. And so he writes this commandment and he sends out the decree. As we come to chapter number 4, Mordecai has now heard the news that the law has been passed. And at a certain date, all of the Jews would be killed throughout all of the provinces. Anywhere where Persian rule was established, the Jews were to be killed. It's amazing how that Satan has hated the people of God for centuries. And we don't have to look too far into our past to see, uh, for example... Uh, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, and the Nazi regime as they persecuted uh, the Jews. And we find a rising tide of anti-Semitism in our world today, do we not? In fact, we have representatives of the United States who serve in our Congress who uh, have a very uh, obstinate uh, position towards Israel. And God said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to take you and Sarah, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless him that blesseth thee. I will curse him that curseth thee. And the way we treat Israel as a nation, the way we treat the Jews, uh, that, that determines largely God's blessing upon a nation. And America has been a faithful friend of Israel. And we need to continue to be a faithful friend of Israel. They are God's people. And, uh, friend, I'm, I'm telling you, this anti-Semitism is of the devil. Now, the reason Satan wanted to destroy the Jews is because the promise was made uh, that the Messiah would be sent. So Satan had it out for all of humanity. And then when God chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, he decided he's going to have it out for all of Abraham's descendants. And then when God chose among the tribes of Israel Jacob, he, he, or rather Judah, he had it out for all of Judah's descendants and the seed of David, and he had it out for all of those descendants. You see, the devil hates the Jews. 
And he hates the people of God. He hates the church of God today. And so we see uh, represented in this historical event, we see how that Satan today opposes the people of God. Because we are the children of Abraham by faith. That's what the book of Galatians tells us. I, I do not subscribe to the doctrine that the church has replaced the nation of Israel as God's people. I do not subscribe to that doctrine whatsoever. God has a plan for Israel. But we are the seed of Abraham according to faith. We're God's people. And Satan hates God's people. And Satan is doing all he can in this hour to to put people in places and in positions and give them authority and power so that they can silence the voices of God's people. And we've seen it happening in our nation, and we see it happening in our world. I think if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me speak about those things. I don't think it's necessary for me to go into all the details, but we certainly see Haman is at work tonight, right? And he's building his gallows, and he wants to silence the voices of God's people. And while Satan is at work, let me tell you that God is at work. Let me tell you that God is at work. Therefore, we're not to let our hearts be troubled, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ defeated the devil. He rose from the grave on the third day, the conqueror over Satan and over sin and over death and over hell. And so he is the champion, and he cannot be defeated. And while we see the Hamans of this world at work, and we hear the hammers and the nails and the saws on the construction sites of the gallows, and we see the legislators who want to draft the laws to silence the voices of Christians, one thing we need to understand is that God's purposes will not be thwarted by the devil. God has established his word, and God has established his people. He's promised us an eternal inheritance uh, in the heavens that fadeth not away, and we shall not be defeated. We will not be overcome. And while Hamans are moving about the hallways of legislative buildings, and while they're getting in positions of power, let me explain to you that God has his people. God has his people. He has his Daniels and his Hananiahs and Mishaels and Azariahs, and he knows how to place them exactly where they need to be. He knows how to preserve them. He knows how to send Joseph ahead of the famine. God has a plan. He knows how to preserve David's life in the wilderness, and God can preserve the lives of his people. And may God help us to be faithful to him. And so while Haman... And the devil are at work. Let me tell you that God is at work. And who's he going to use? He's going to use a young girl, a teenage girl named Esther. One day she's going to get the news that the king is looking for a wife. You see, the king got angry. He got angry because one night in a drunken feast, he, he wanted his wife to parade around in an immodest way in front of all of uh, his subjects, and she refused to do that. And in his rage, he said, well, you're finished, and she was. And there came a day when he remembered what he had said, and he regretted what he said, but because he had said it, he couldn't go back. He was an angry man. He was the kind of man who made uh, 
remarks and reactions and responses based on his anger and without any regard to any thought about the consequences of his actions. And so now here he is. He's all alone. He doesn't have a wife. And so they have a plan. We'll find you a wife. We'll call out for all the virgins in the kingdom and we'll bring them in and we'll let you choose. And so they bring in all of them that they thought would be good candidates and the king calls them one by one to himself. That's certainly no way that you'd want to be involved in in that kind of relationship. But nevertheless, that was the way it was conducted in a wicked world. And by the way, let me say this, we live in a wicked world. We live in a wicked world. And uh, may God help us to be faithful. Well, Esther was the one that he chose, and she became his wife. Uh, Who would have more influence on him than her? You see, God knows what he's doing. And let me tell you, young person, you don't know what the Lord has for you. You don't know where God is going to lead you. But you need to prepare. You need to prepare. You see, here's a man, Mordecai, who took Esther. Her parents were killed. She was an orphan girl. She was raised by her uncle. And he invested in her, and he poured his life into her, and he loved her as a father would love a daughter, and he taught her the truths of God's word. But there came a day when she was removed from his care, and she became the wife of a pagan, idolatrous king who was given to drunkenness and fits of rage. None of us would ever wish that for our daughters. But God knew what he was doing, and he placed her there in a position of influence and a position of power. He gave her an opportunity. Why? Not necessarily for her own happiness. I mean, as she told Mordecai, I haven't seen him in 30 days. How would you like that relationship? Haven't seen my husband in 30 days. He hasn't called for me. That's certainly not what any of us as parents would want for our children, right? But here we find that God is going to use it nonetheless. That God is always at work. I want you to note three things this evening as we consider this thought. Esther refused to remain silent. Esther refused to remain silent. Notice, if you would, first of all, distressing times. Distressing times. You remember the words of Mordecai as he spoke to her? He said to her, he said, Who knoweth, verse 14, the close of the 14th verse, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You see, listen to me. It might have appeared a random thing. It might have appeared a chance thing that she ends up as the wife of the king. She was a beautiful girl, uh, no doubt about that, but it just appeared to be sort of a random chance thing. But let me tell you, it was not a random chance thing. Maybe it didn't make a whole lot of sense to her. Perhaps it didn't make a whole lot of sense to anybody in that day, but as we see the times unfolding, as we see the circumstances uh, unrolling there in front of them, Mordecai has the discernment to say to her, perhaps this is why you are here. 
Let me tell you, it's no mistake that God has chosen us to live in this day and age. I hear people long for the days of yesteryear, and I can understand that, but let me tell you, God didn't give you the days of yesteryear. God gave you the days of this time, and may God help us to be faithful to him in this time. And the God who worked in days past is the God who is present and powerful to work today. And I want to tell you, that God has a plan and he wants to fulfill it and he wants to use these young people and he wants to use you moms and dads and he wants to use you grandparents and so may God help us to be faithful. I had a dear lady speak to me today as, as she was leaving the auditorium and she said to me, as, as an older lady, she said to me, these messages have been a help to me. I want to tell you, that encouraged me. She said, I'm glad you're preaching to these young people, but I want you to know, I, as an older person, I want to finish my course. Oh, that was a blessing to hear. May God help us to finish our course. Now, we see here that these times, this time that she was living in, he said, who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this, those times that she was living in. It was no time to remain silent. It was a time to speak up. Now, let me know, give you some things about these times. They were distressing times. Distressing times. We see it in verse 1 when Mordecai perceived all that was done. Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth and in every province whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. They heard the news they were going to be put to death. Haman, this manipulative schemer, had, had gotten into office. He had gotten into a place of influence, and uh, he deceived the king, and he drafted this legislation because he hated Mordecai, and he wanted him dead. So he said, let's not just put Mordecai to death. And the reason he wanted Mordecai dead and all of Mordecai's people was because he knew something. If he dealt just with Mordecai, who wouldn't bow to him, he understood that he would also have to deal with the entire nation because they all had one thing in common. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me tell you what the world knows about Bible Christians. They believe this book. They live by this book. And therefore, they cannot accept things that are being uh, that things that are that are being taught today in this wicked age in which we live. We cannot accept these things. We cannot go along and march in time and bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Why? Because we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. I heard a commentator on MSNBC some years ago begin to talk about the real problem with right-wing Christians. And he said, let me tell you what the problem is. He says, they believe the Bible. And he began to quote the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy and what the Word of God has to, says about the, has to say about the immorality of this day. And I thought to myself when I heard that, and that was some years ago, I thought this is a new day of boldness for this crowd because they are getting to the heart of the matter. We are not aligned with any particular political persuasion. We are aligned with the truth of God's Word. 
And that truth directs us into all the positions that we take on moral issues. And therefore, we cannot swallow the sin and iniquity of this world. We cannot accept what this world is propagating because we know the true and the living God. And we cannot bow down to the God of this world. We can only bow to Jesus. And they know it. And make no mistake about it, they want to silence us. They want to silence us. We need to wake up to that. We don't need to be alarmed by it. We don't need to live in fear of it. But we need to be awake, knowing the time, Paul said, that it is high time. And know this also, in the last days, perilous times shall come. We live in those times. They're distressing times. And when they heard the news that they were all going to be killed, they were greatly distressed. What did they do? They wept, they mourned, they fasted. They cried out to God. They lay in sackcloth and ashes. And let me say this to you. It may take some things like that to happen to wake up the slumbering church of God today. We're too busy going about our business. We're too busy concerned about our comfort to really get stirred up and disturbed about what's happening in the world. And so... Here we find that now they're awakened. They're awakened by this distressing news. We see a second thing, not only distressing times, but we see disturbing times. Disturbing times. You see distressing times lead to disturbing times. Now where is Esther? She's in the castle. She's in the court of the king. She's married to the king. But the decree that has gone out is a decree that calls for her death. But the king doesn't know that she's a Jew. Haman doesn't know that she's a Jew. But she knows it. And Mordecai knows it. And so now she gets the news. Now how does she get it? Well, she gets it, first of all, by, by seeing in the most unusual sight in front of the king's gate. She's looking out the window. Maybe she's, maybe she's back in the in, in, in uh, the bedroom or doing some work or being tended to by some of the, the, the maids who attended to her, and she hears this awful noise, and she, she thinks, what in the world is that? And everybody runs to the window to see, and they said, oh, Esther, come here. It's your Uncle Mordecai. And she comes to the window, and she sees him. And how is he dressed? In sackcloth and ashes. And what is he doing? He's weeping and mourning, and he's crying out. It's a very disturbing picture here. Verse 4, the Bible says, So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Hey, he was disturbed, and he wasn't going to allow anything to cause him to be comforted in his disturbance. You know, the devil can anesthetize us with just basic things, you know a better job, a nice vacation, something that he can put around us, a cloak that we'll, that we'll find comfortable, that will, that will cause us to lose concern for what is happening in our world. But he refused to be comforted. He refused to be numbed and dulled to what was going on. He received it not. That was most disturbing again to Esther. And so in verse 5, she calls for the king's servant, 
Hatak to go and find out what the problem is. And so he goes in verse 7, and Mordecai told him of all that happened unto him and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Haman's decided he's going to pay people to kill the Jews. And he got the king to go along with it. In verse 8, also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given unto Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now Mordecai refused to be comforted. And so Esther asked, tell me what's going on. She got concerned. By the way, have you got concerned? Are you concerned enough to ask? Christians are being killed all across this world, in Africa, in India, all throughout it. Do we care? Do we, do we bother to ask? No, we get upset if it's too cold in the auditorium or too warm or if something gets changed without our notification while people are perishing, while people are suffering persecution. We, we seem to have a problem looking beyond our own realm, our own comfort, our own selves. Esther was comfortable, cared for, the queen, but she got disturbed. Disturbed enough to ask, tell me what's going on. You know, it would help us to get informed a little bit about what's happening in our world, to see beyond ourselves and see what is happening. She asked, and so Mordecai answered, and then Mordecai appealed to her. He said, here's what's going on. They're going to kill all of us, and here's what you have to do. He's calling her to a decision. He's not just informing her. By the way, I don't think we have a problem today being informed, do we? I think sometimes we, we have so much information, it's overload. We sort of learn to tune it out. But I really don't think we have a problem being informed. I do think we sometimes have a problem acting. Because he is appealing to her. He's saying to her, it's not enough for you to know. You must act. It was Edmund Burke who said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And we see it happening. And so we see these were distressing times. They were disturbing times, but they were decisive times. Decisive times. You see, Esther didn't have a long time to sit around and try to figure out what to do. She had to act, and she chose to act. She had to speak, and she chose to speak. And may God help us as his people to speak as God gives us opportunity. You see, the part of the, 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 the tactic of the devil in this intimidation that he has it's a, it's, a, it's a fierce tactic that he has to intimidate us, to silence us. And it is very effective 
Nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to speak up. Nobody wants to be the one that the crowd ridicules and scorns. Nobody wants to be made fun of. Nobody wants to be considered to be the oddball. But we're going to have to speak up, aren't we? If we don't speak up, lost people around us are going to go to hell. If we don't speak up, we're going to see churches decline. If we don't speak up, we're going to see generations continue to decline, and we're going to see more souls go to hell. It's time to speak up. It's called for action that has come to us. In verse 9, Hatak comes back, gives Esther uh, the words of Mordecai. Esther then sends to Mordecai again. And uh, verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come in unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Now, we don't understand how that works, but it, it did work. This is the culture. This is, this is the way of the Persians. The king could not be interrupted. He had to call for you. He could not be interrupted. Some of you men want to adopt that theory right now, right? <laughs> if you interrupted him, if you came into his presence, he could have you put to death unless he extends to you the golden scepter. Now, we understand that this is a man who is emotionally volatile. He's already demonstrated that. I mean, he, he got drunk. He wanted his wife to parade around. She said no, and he got mad, spouted off, and he basically divorced her and banished her. This is a man who's not emotionally stable. He makes decisions influenced by wicked men like Haman without getting all the facts. And he's put his own wife's life in jeopardy. This is an unstable ruler. But nonetheless, though he's an unstable ruler, God has placed people there to know him and to influence him who know God. And so she says, you need to understand something, Mordecai. If I go into him, I'm most likely going to be killed. Now it's a matter of a question of self-preservation. If I speak up, it's going to cost me something. It could potentially cost me my life. And so the report is given to Mordecai. Mordecai sends the answer back through Hatak in verse 13. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. He said, wait a minute. He said, look, understand this. You're under the sentence of death just like I am. Just like all of the Jews are. You're living in the palace. You're the king's wife, right? But you need to understand this sentence, this legislation impacts your life. Verse 14 for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Don't you love the faith of Mordecai? He said, look, 
Let me tell you something. Listen to me, young person. You have an opportunity to take a stand for God. And if you'll take the stand, God can use you. But if you refuse to take a stand, understand that God will use somebody else. Do you know what's passing by? Opportunity. Do you know who's knocking? Opportunity. Oh, not an opportunity to make a, make a dollar. I remember my dad, I used to get so, my, my mom and I would, would talk about this and laugh about it. My dad would, we'd be driving around in our area where, we, where he grew up and where my mom grew up, and he would say, you see that? That's so-and-so's farm. He said, I could have bought that 20 years ago for X amount of dollars. And so anytime we'd drive down that road, we would, we, I would joke and I would say, Oh, yeah, there's so-and-so's farm. He could have owned that. We could have had, man, our opportunity passed us by. Now I'm paying for that because my kids do that kind of thing to me. We're not talking about opportunities for yourself. God didn't just put you on this earth for yourself. God put you on this earth to serve him. And here is an opportunity that God has presented you with, Esther. Here is an opportunity that God has presented you with, young person. Here's an opportunity that God has presented you with, church member, to know the Lord, to be in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, to know the truth for such a time as this, in these distressing times, in these disturbing times, that you would take decisive action, that you would not remain silent, but that you would take a stand, that you would speak for the Lord Jesus Christ in this wicked hour. It's an opportunity. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? But understand if you pass it up, God will find somebody. He'll deliver. Oh, listen, that shows us this. It's not dependent upon us for the deliverance. It's dependent upon God. But we get to be involved in it. We get to witness it firsthand. Can you imagine the stories of the people who walk through the, the Red Sea on dry ground? Can you imagine that? We're at the sea. The army's coming after us. There's the cloud that's separating them from us. It's the cloud of God's presence. It's a cloud of darkness to them. It is a fire that lights our way and keeps us warm in the desert at night. We witness that. What an amazing thing. Then we saw Moses lift his rod, and we saw the waters part. We saw the wall of those waters exceedingly high, multiple stories in the sky. And then Moses said, walk on through. And we got to the brink of that sea, and we noticed the ground was dry. It was an amazing sight to see. I looked to my left, and there was a fish. No, I don't know if that's true, but they're walking through it, right? And so we noticed as we got nearly through it, here comes the Pharaoh and all his army. Here they come with their chariots. And all of a sudden, the wheels of their chariots started falling off. And they were all stuck. And then all of a sudden, the sea collapsed over top of them, and they were all drowned. They saw it. They witnessed it. 
Don't you want to see God work? Don't you want to be involved in it? Don't you want the blessings of God? Have we given up on seeing that in this hour in which we live? Don't we as a church desire to see the move of God? Don't we know that God is faithful even in this dark and gener- uh, wicked generation that we can see God continue to move? His power, His power has not diminished one bit. God is able. And we've got an opportunity. Hey, hey, look here. You have an opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime to serve God, to take decisive action, to speak for Him, even if it requires you risking your own life. And then he asks the question, after he reminds her of something, he says, if, you, if you're quiet, understand this, you and your father's house shall be destroyed. But who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And the words of Mordecai were powerful in the ears of Esther and in her heart. And she was moved and compelled to act. Now notice what she did, verse 15. She didn't just run in there. King, honey darling, I need to talk to you. No, no. No. She went about it with wisdom. You know, so many times we, we act without wisdom. Some of the criticism that we get from people who don't know God is legitimate. Because our spirit has not been always right. Our, our methodology and our delivery hasn't always been in the right spirit. We haven't waited on God. We haven't followed his leading and been filled with his spirit. And, and so Esther recognizes that what she's going into, she needs God's help to, to guide her through it. And so she says in verse 15, Then Esther bade return to Mordecai this answer, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise. So will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded. She loved not her life to the death. She was willing to give her life to serve the Lord. The Bible says that I, if, I, if I'm a wise person, if I'm a wise person, I'll understand that if I try to keep something, I'll lose it. If I try to keep my life, I'll lose it. If I lose it for Christ, I'll keep it. You see, this life that God has given us needs to be given back to him. If we try to protect it for ourselves, we'll certainly lose it. We might live, but we'll not experience life. And so may God help us to abandon ourselves to him and be obedient to him. Now we know the story. Esther went to the king. Haman was there talking. She said, I I want you to uh, come to supper. Not today, but later on. 
Well, why the delay, you might wonder. Well, God was working, right? Because that night, the king was going to have trouble sleeping. And he was going to call for one of the attendants to bring him a book and read him a book. And guess what book he read? He read a book of history. And in that book, it was discovered that Mordecai had discovered a plot to kill the king. The king had forgotten all about that. Or maybe he didn't know it at all. And he said, well, what have we done for Mordecai to to thank him, to pay honor to him? He spared my life. He's been loyal to me. And they said nothing. Well, about that time it was morning and Haman comes in, you know, he's ready He's ready now to put some Jews on the gallows. And before he can get the words out of his mouth, the king says, Haman, what should we do to the guy that I want to honor? Well, Haman thinks it's obviously me. And so Haman says, well, there's a lot of things you can do, but here's what I suggest. Put the king's robe on him and put him in the king's chariot and parade him through the city and let all the people know this is the man that the king delights to honor And he thought, let me get my shoes on. i got to get ready for the ride. But his jaw hit the floor because the king said, go do that to Mordecai, the one he despised, the one he hated, is the one he paraded through town, Mordecai. Well, this was a grievous exercise for him. And when he got home, he just went straight to the house. And he told his wife and his family about it, and they said, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going too well for you. About that time, it was time to go to supper with the king to see Queen Esther. And Queen Esther brought them in, and she said to the king, there's a man who wants to kill us, and it's Haman. And you see, God worked in his sovereignty in concert, in agreement with the submission and obedience of Esther. And God used her. She took decisive action, and God blessed it. And God reversed the entire situation. You know who hang on Haman's gallows? It was Haman. And do you know that all the Jews that were condemned were delivered? And their foes in every province who intended to kill them were all put to death. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was glorified. As he was in the days of Daniel among the Babylonians, he was glorified in the days of Esther among the Persians. And let me say this, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this wickedness, God can be glorified and will be glorified through his people who will obey him. This church, these young people, the children in our church, if we'll respond to the opportunity that God has given us, if we will take decisive action, if we will refuse to be silent, if we will learn to obey, if we will learn to trust God, if we will learn to seek him and to fast and to pray and seek his blessings and follow him, God will surely deliver us, and God will use us. What do you want for your life, young person? What do you want for your life, church member? God wants it to go well with you. God wants it to go well with you. 
And so Joseph says, hey, don't give in to sexual temptation. Moses says, don't be identified with this world. Ruth says, don't turn back. Follow on to know God. David says, learn to respect authority, and God will bless you. Daniel says, refuse to be defiled with a portion of the king's meat. The three Hebrew boys say, refuse to bow down. Don't be intimidated. And Esther says, don't be silent. Speak up. Take action. It will go well with you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Let me encourage you tonight, if God by His Spirit has spoken to you, to respond to Him. It is a privilege. It is a blessing. It is an honor. It's not anything to be taken for granted when God speaks to us through His Word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you would say, I know, Pastor, this, God has spoken to me either tonight or in this series. God has spoken to me. Would you lift your hand? You say, God's spoken to me. Well, then what has he said? What is he saying? Are you willing to obey? Remember, Esther's opportunity, it was a grand opportunity, but it wasn't always going to be there. If you refuse, Esther, then God will deliver the Jews in another way. But right now is your opportunity. I want you to respond to the Lord this evening as God has spoken to you. Maybe there are people here who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. The Bible said God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord's will is that no one go to hell. And he died to save you on the cross of Calvary. Will you respond to that offer of salvation by repenting of your sin and trusting him? There are people who will be here with a Bible in hand to show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Maybe this evening as a saved person, you, you know God is speaking to you in one of these areas. You, you've heard the voice of God say He wants it to go well with you, but you also have heard the voice of the devil in this world enticing you to disobey God. And their words are persuasive and their words are powerful. But right now, God is working in your heart, and you know, you know that God's Word is true, and you want to be obedient to it. Then I want to invite you in just a moment we sing this hymn of invitation. You come. Bring that need. Bring that area of your life that God is speaking to you about. Bring it to Jesus and seek Him for deliverance. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.